is The Guardian. I'm Patrick Keneally, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And this is The Full Story. When a 13-year-old boy with autism developed a fixation on the Islamic State, his parents were worried. So worried that they went to Victoria Police to ask for help. But the police response took an unexpected turn. An undercover officer started talking to the boy online in an operation that ended up further radicalising him and led to him being charged with terror offences. They were dealing with a kid who didn't know any better, who was really yearning, I guess, for somebody to speak to about this fixation he had, and the AFP gave him that. It's a disturbing case that raises serious questions about how the police treat vulnerable people and their role and responsibilities in the de-radicalisation process. Today, how the police targeted a lonely and impressionable teenager. It's Tuesday, the 20th of February. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Nino, you're Guardian Australia's courts and justice reporter. Recently, you reported on the case of a young teenage boy being charged under terrorism laws. What did you make of this case when you first came across it? Yeah, I found this fairly unbelievable. When I saw these documents about a boy who the court gave the pseudonym Thomas Carrick, it was quite unbelievable reading. It's something you don't see in many cases that I've covered, certainly the level of concern that a member of the judiciary has about the conduct of police and also, I suppose, a accused in in the boy known as Thomas Carrick, you know, who is sort of identified as having such profound and complex needs and disabilities and and, and mental health problems, who's being caught up in a counterterrorism operation. So yeah, I I was fairly stunned when I when I first sort of laid eyes on it. Can you tell us a bit about Thomas Carrick and, and his background? Yeah, so when he was at primary school, even things like finding a friend for him were something that the court found, you know, quite a notable achievement. You know, he was on the NDIS for his autism. He had an IQ of 71 and, you know, he was a, you know, a teenage kid, I suppose, that was, had a, had a very deep fixation on Islamic State and was living with his parents in Melbourne, but yeah, had quite complex needs. And when Thomas was 13, his parents went to the police for help. Why were they worried about him? Yeah, in April 2021, 
his parents went to a police station in Melbourne and basically told them, look, we're concerned about our son's fixation on Islamic State. A magistrate later found his father actually said words to the effect of we're willing to sacrifice our son for the Australian community. And that's because Thomas was doing things like watching Islamic State propaganda, you know, had asked his mum to buy him ingredients to, to build a bomb, uh, and he was also making threats to other students at his then high school. So that's all pretty concerning stuff. How did the police respond to his parents' plea to help Thomas? Yeah, yeah. So at that stage, it was Victoria Police who was the kind of lead agency here, and they decided to go down a sort of therapeutic de-radicalisation approach. And, you know, in conjunction with his parents who gave police access to him and their home and his phone and his mother's phone and other personal information about his school and psychologist, they started to try and kind of chip away at some of these fixations that Thomas had. They approached an imam and, and hoped to sort of arrange meetings between Thomas and this imam to speak about Islam in a way that was you know, the truth, I guess, not the sort of version of the religion that Islamic State kind of pushed. And they they tried to, I guess, basically turn this kid around, turn Thomas around to a point where he wasn't doing things that were so concerning. Nina, what happened after they started the therapeutic approach? So they decided after three months that this approach wasn't working and they effectively escalated things. They went to the joint counterterrorism team, which is made up of Victoria Police, the AFP, and ASIO and said, hey, this isn't working. And that's when the undercover operation was authorised, which would basically involve an AFP officer pretending to speak to Thomas online as two various people who were also interested in Islamic State and violent extremism. And their strategy was that we're going to talk to Thomas, befriend him and gather intelligence information that we could perhaps later use to charge him with terror offences. And, you know, the undercover operative doing this was was very conscious of, of who Thomas was and of some of his tendencies, his autistic sort of way of becoming fixated on things and, you know, told one of the psychologists that was kind of helping police with this operation that this is a kid on the spectrum. I'm letting him do all the talking. But, you know, the authorities firmly believed this was necessary to, I guess, deal with, in their eyes, was becoming a potentially deadly threat. And what types of things were they talking about between the operative and Thomas? Yeah, so they're speaking about things like terror attacks that occurred overseas, different tactics Thomas could do. You know, one of the things the AFP sort of strategized was that the first person Thomas would speak to online would be someone in their early 20s from New South Wales who was a little bit less extreme than their other online persona they'd created who the first persona would actually introduce Thomas to and that second person was someone who was based overseas and would be talking to Thomas about some more radical ideas. So, you know, the court later found that it was suggested that, you know, Thomas would be a really good sniper or suicide bomber he's getting sort of led down a path to looking at terror attacks that have happened overseas and to consider, you know, whether he could do something similar here. So it wasn't just a case of, you know, let's go into a chat room and find this kid and talk about whatever comes up. There was, you know, the magistrate found later 
quite deliberate tactics that were being used by that undercover operative to, you know, radicalise him further. So there's an interesting mix there of both a de-radicalisation program, but how does that work in combination with an actual undercover counter-terrorism police operation? I mean, it's clear reading this judgment about Thomas's case that the police at the time thought these two things could work in parallel, that they could keep going down the approach that started you know, three months earlier when Thomas's parents first went to police, but at the same time they could also start building a, a rapport with him using these online operatives and try and get a bit more of an understanding of how real this threat was and potentially getting to a point where they could charge him. But the extent of the communication that Thomas was having online with this you know, undercover AFP operative was quite extraordinary. You know, they spoke for 55 out of the next 71 days, including when he was on breaks at school and late into the night. And by the time there was an actual brief of evidence served in this case, there was 1,400 pages of chat logs between Thomas and these online operatives. So quite an extraordinary level of contact they were having over a, you know, more than two-month period. When was Thomas arrested and charged after all this online chatter? So basically July 2021 is when this undercover operation starts and in October 2021 is when he's charged. Now, he was charged with two terror offences and they occurred shortly after he turned 14. Um, They were being a member of a terror organisation and advocating terrorism. So he spent a few days on remand, so in, in, in custody, There was then a a bail application. He got bail. He actually had bail cancelled some months after that and he spent three months in custody as a a 14-year-old. This is a boy with autism, with an extremely low IQ and a number of other problems. What would it have been like for him in custody? Yeah, the magistrate mentioned that his time in youth detention was quite difficult. He didn't, you know... As you can imagine, he wasn't able to be sort of surrounded by the same sort of level of kind of therapeutic support that he was in in school or at home. Uh, they said that he was, you know, trying to as hard as he could with with some things and trying to engage with some things. But they they actually mentioned that at at one point he there was an issue with his glasses and that sort of you know sent him off, um, you know, down a bit of a, another path. And and I think there's also mention in there about the fact that some of the other detainees sort of were, you know, potentially getting used to the fact that they could wind him up or they could, I suppose, you know, sort of needle him a little bit because of his autism. And I think it also sort of actually mentions in there too that they were concerned that because he was so suggestible that his behaviour could deteriorate the longer he was in that setting. So eventually he did apply for bail and he was granted bail again and he it took quite a while, you know, two years after his charge before the matter finally ended up in the Victorian Children Court. There was an application made for a permanent stay, which is effectively for the case to be thrown out. And that's what a magistrate ruled in October last year. So that's two years after he was charged that the Victorian Children's Court threw out his case. What did the magistrate decide in the findings? What was the reasoning? Magistrate Leslie Fleming was highly critical of the contact between the undercover operative and Thomas and the fact that that was the basis for 
much of the criminal charges. You know, she said basically that the community wouldn't expect law enforcement officers to encourage a 13, 14-year-old child towards, and I quote, racial hatred, distrust of police and violent extremism, encouraging the child's fixation on ISIS. And she also kind of found that basically this idea that you could therapeutically deal with some of the challenges and behaviours Thomas was exhibiting at the same time as you're investigating for possible terror offences, you know, the idea that police had those two things could kind of run parallel was completely misguided and said that, you know, the rehabilitation of Thomas was, I quote, doomed once the operator connected online with him. You know, the AFP fought that, or the, I should say the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions fought that application for a permanent stay. They thought that these matters should continue to trial and that they had a strong enough case, I guess, to sort of prove that Thomas had done what they, you know, accused him of doing. But yeah, obviously the magistrate ultimately ruled in Thomas's favour and, and the case was thrown out. Next, the AFP responds. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The AFP Deputy Commissioner Ian McCartney, who authorised the operation, recently appeared at a parliamentary joint committee and at a Senate estimates. How did he respond to questions that were raised about this case? Yeah, so Deputy Commissioner McCartney was questioned by... David Shoebridge, the Greens Senator. Has anyone been held to account Your for this? Your final question. So just in relation to, to that question, it was not our, our position, not our intent to... to you did it. it. If you can let me finish the question. And Senator. he basically at the first appearance at this parliamentary joint committee said, look... The, the, the person was on the, the path to radicalisation long before we became involved, long before Victoria Police came involved. He kind of basically was sort of saying that they accepted the findings of the magistrate. Listen, we acknowledge the magistrate's finding, we accept the finding, but... So you're radicalising the kids. final question. You're radicalising a 13-year-old boy with autism. Which was interesting. I mean, not completely surprising, given they hadn't appealed that verdict, but interesting to sort of say that, look, yep, we accept what, what Magistrate Fleming has sort of said about that. He sort of pushed back a little bit, I guess, on some of the rhetoric that Shoebridge used around, you know, the AFP. It was the AFP who recommended he become a sniper and a suicide bomber. Senator. It was the AFP who put that in his mind. A 13-year-old boy with autism with an IQ of 71. Is anyone held to account for this? This obscene abuse 
obscene abuse of power and authority. So, Your Senator, that was, not, that was not our intent and not our purpose. It's what you did. You know, some of the findings that, that Fleming had made in the case and sort of said, look, that wasn't our intention. So in terms of you following up from that question, there's a range of reviews that are happening in relation to this matter. More than happy, Shameful. More than happy to Thank come you, back Senator. before. It's a matter of transparency Shameful. and confidence. McCartney basically was sort of saying, look, there's a range of reviews underway. We accept the magistrate's findings and it wasn't our intent to do some of the things that the magistrate said that we did. So your time's expired. No We're going to move on. Wife. Senator Shoebridge, your time has expired. Has a week later, there was a Senate estimates hearing and Deputy Commissioner McCartney was asked about this case again. The decision that was made by the team, it wasn't being effective. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was becoming more and more radicalised. And I suppose that the kind of top line of what he said that was most fascinating was he basically said, look, if I had the same set of circumstances before me again... I would sign that again, Senator. That, based, that's, based, why, based on the that's why the absence Senator of an independent Shibridge. review is so deeply troubling. Thank you. We also learnt a little bit more about the actual nuts and bolts, I suppose, of the review that the AFP are doing into this case, the fact that it's going to be, you know, they say a transparent process where they'll kind of look at the flow of information before the authorisation was given, so before the operation started but also after it started. And, you know, they kind of wouldn't get pinned down again under questioning by the Green Senator, David Shoebridge, they wouldn't sort of get pinned down too much about whether anybody would be held to account for this, but they did clarify that neither McCartney, who authorised the operation, of course, or the undercover operative, they did clarify that neither of those two people were currently the subject of a professional standards command investigation. So the AFP has said basically they would do the whole thing all over again but they've also said, on the other hand, that they accept the magistrate's decision. Isn't there a irreconcilable difference between the two? Yes, yeah, certainly at, at first appearance there is. But I, you know, without putting words in the AFP's mouth here, I think where they're going with it is that the justification for their decision, so the the evidence they had and the information they had and the briefing they did before they authorised the operation they feel was sound. Where I suppose they're saying they accept what the magistrate is saying and, and, you know, they're kind of saying as well they're probably going to review what happened here is the operation itself. And so it's kind of saying, look, we think our decision was fine here. What flowed from that may not have been. One thing I found really striking about this case was that the court mentioned that even finding a friend at primary school was a really big achievement for Thomas Carrick. He was quite isolated and alone, but here we have operatives spending 55 days chatting with him. So they're obviously spending a lot of time with him. Do you think that was a significant part of this case and how he was radicalised? Completely. I think there's there's no doubt and the magistrate who ordered the permanent state kind of goes to this that, you know, this kid didn't have anything else other than his fixations. And to design an entire apparatus whereby you are spending countless hours feeding that, encouraging that, you know, telling him he'd be, you know, fantastic if he wanted to go further and in his sort of, you know, devotion to Islamic State. 
it's really clear that the the reason this worked from a police perspective is because they were dealing with a kid who didn't know any better, who was really yearning, I guess, for somebody to speak to about this fixation he had, and the AFP gave him that. So, Nina, what is going to happen from here on? It's a bit difficult to say. We know the AFP are saying they're going to do their review. They're saying that it's going to be transparent, so maybe there'll be something that flows out of that. Um, There's still real concern here that there's not been any truly independent review announced into what happened in this case. The Attorney General who oversees the AFP and also the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions has been completely silent about this, so we, we don't really have their view on on what transpired here and you know we don't get any sense from them that they're going to look any further into this. I've not spoken to Thomas's parents, but I understand from his lawyer that you know this is something that continues to have a pretty big impact on on his life. And there's the prospect that there'll be more people coming forward with more concerns about their own cases or their own experiences with the AFP and, you know, of being caught up in, in counter-terror operations and there might be more on, on that front too. You've been covering the Australian Federal Police and violent extremism for a while now. How does this rank in terms of what you've seen? Yeah, look, we're sort of more than two decades in now to what's been dubbed the kind of war on terror and, you know, post 9-11, the idea that countering violent extremism, particularly Islamic extremism, is a huge focus of law enforcement and also our intelligence agencies. And, you know, over that time, we've had various people, you know, investigated, convicted of terror offences in Australia. I think the thing that's really unique about this one is that you know, the age of the person involved, obviously, the fact that they had, you know, a mental disability and, and you know, quite concerning, you know, as, as the magistrate sort of found mental health problems and also I suppose the window that it provided into how an undercover operation typically works. But we don't know whether there's other cases like it. We don't know whether there's other kids like Thomas being investigated right now. And so sort of the broader concerns that I guess are, are largely coming from the Islamic community and and I suppose lawyers and, and the justice sector about the levels of oversight we have in cases like this. And there's certainly been calls for an independent investigation into what actually happened here because it's such a stark example of how things can go wrong, as the magistrate found. The people who have sort of contacted me after this story came out of in a large part of sort of been basically saying, look, we need this to be a signpost or a bit of a way forward to kind of getting greater transparency around this area and a greater sense of what our, you know, police and intelligence agencies are doing when it comes to the targeting of vulnerable people. That was Nino Bucci, courts and justice reporter at Guardian Australia. You can find more of Nino's reporting on this case on theguardian.com and we've linked to some of those pieces on the full story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and Karishma Lithria. The executive producer of Full Story is Hannah Parks. 
If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Patrick Keneally, and thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.